Let's pray. Lord Jesus, that was a mighty challenge to each of us. God, I would pray that you would have your way with each one of us this morning. God, as we open your word even further, Lord, that that you would expose these ways in us. God, you would show us your grace. You would teach us and you would just bring us closer to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to be slow to transition after that so that we just don't jump out of that challenge and then turn our heads on and dive into the scripture and start learning things. Because that was that was a mighty challenge. My name is Chris Richards. I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church. And like Dan had said, we preach expositionally here. We start in a book and we march through the book. And when we hit a topic that might be a little uncomfortable, we say, wow, God must have us in a great place right now. And we preach straight through it. And if that topic is on giving, then we say, God has us in a place where we need to learn about giving. And hence the testimonies and a month of going through this scripture, because this is where God has us. And today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to start with the first seven verses. Now, I get to teach Sunday school upstairs, and one of the questions I love to ask the kids is, what is a Christian? Because you can ask them... Are you a Christian? And all of them will throw their hands up. Oh, yes. But then you ask them, what is a Christian? And that answer is a little less concrete. Because what you end up with are all these manifestations of what a Christian does. What a Christian looks like. And when you think through some of those things, there are some very key elements in the personality or the makeup or the disposition of a Christian. One of them is a Christian really desires to be with the bride of Christ. And so one of the things a Christian does is they come to church. Now, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, but a Christian desires to be with the church. A Christian forgives. We hear when Jesus is talking about praying and teaching his disciples to pray, at the end he says, you know, if you don't forgive those that are dead against you, your father's not going to forgive you either. And a Christian knows how great he's been forgiven. Like Tim and Leslie told us, they understand how great this forgiveness is. And so they're quick to forgive. It's just one of those things that's in the disposition of being a Christian. If you're a Christian, you forgive. And another piece that we're going to focus on today is a Christian is generous. That's what a Christian is. 
A Christian knows that we live in this point and eternity stretches forever and we trust eternity. We trust the God of eternity. We trust what God has for us. We trust the call that God has on our life. We trust all of these things and that makes us at least growing in generosity. And I say that because I'm yet to become a generous person. I hear these testimonies and I sit back there listening and go, Oh God, I wish I was, I wish I had that heart. I wish I understood generosity like that. I still have what I like to call white knuckle disease. I grab it and I just hold on to it for everything that I got. And as God's growing me, I'm learning what generosity is. You know, one of the interesting things about us pastors each taking different sections of scripture is God controls the timing. God says, oh, let's see, I need to have Chris in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. How do I work this schedule out? Because over the last number of weeks as I've been studying through this, I almost wanted to just sit down on the floor with everyone and just tell you all the things that I've learned. Because God's drug me through a lot of places where I can sit in that chair and go, wow, God, I wish I had that heart. And I know that that's a place he's going to sanctify me. He's going to teach me about the disposition of generosity. That this is a place to grow. And this is a hard topic to teach on because in the scripture... Giving is talked about and generosity is talked about everywhere. It's just a non-stop topic because God knows that I'm not the only one on this planet with white knuckle disease. God knows that. And it's spoken about over and over and over and it seems to be such a complicated thing. But yet at the same time, it's disgustingly simple. Do it. You're a Christian. It's all God's. Act accordingly. What is it that makes that so complicated? <laughs> Me. I'm the one that makes it complicated. Thought on it, I have goals and I have aspirations and I have a kingdom to build and it's all mine and, and I get in there and make this so complicated. Let's read the passage. Second Corinthians chapter nine, starting in verse one. Now at the beginning of this, we're going to use this to kind of remind ourselves after taking the Easter break. Uh, what we've been talking about through 2 Corinthians here. So I'm going to read the first five verses. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia, southern Greece, has been prepared since last year, And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be empty in this case. So that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by our confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same may be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. It's the first five verses. Now, 
I'm just, let's just wrap this up in a, a quick little easy story. Okay? We do this all the time. We have a friend. We're going to bring him home for dinner. What would happen if you grabbed the friend, you went home, you walked in the front door, and you never told your wife you were coming? You were telling your friend, oh, yeah, she can cook. Mm. Oh, yeah, and you walk in the door, and something had happened with the kids or whatever that day, and... We do this all the time. Right? There's no question what Paul is doing here. He's saying to the Corinthians, look, I'm, I'm going to just help you to, to set things up ahead of time so that if we bring anybody with us, all this boasting that I've been doing isn't going to result in any awkwardness. So get it ahead of time. But more than that, more than that, we have to remember what's going on here. Paul was going through the different churches and he was collecting this money to bring back to the Jerusalem saints. Right? And one of the things he was doing when he was in Macedonia is he's telling them, those Corinthians, oh, they've also promised a big gift. Now to that we may just kind of gloss over, but the difference is the people in Jerusalem were Jewish The people in Macedonia and the people in Corinth are Greek. They're Gentiles. The Jewish people aren't having such an easy time accepting these Jewish believers. And so when he's going around and he's making this point that the Corinthians are giving, he's saying the Gentiles are also giving. This is a universal body and the saints are helping the saints. And it's tying things together. And so this is a really big deal. That your gift needs to be ready. So he's prepping them ahead of time. Kind of adding a little extra there. But at the end it says, So that it will not be affected by covetousness. It's easy to make a commitment verbally to something. When he came through the first time, they committed to this great gift, and he left. And then I got a great deal on a chariot, and so the money I was going to give, I already spent it. Or after he left, I started thinking through that, you know, this is really going to the the Jewish folks in, in Jerusalem, and, and they don't really like us anyway. Why should I? And all these other thoughts come in about what I can do with this money and all the things, and it says, you know, I want you all to have time to think through this so that covetousness, it doesn't affect this gift. And over the last year, it probably had. What covetousness, one of the, the phrases I liked as I was reading, it's grasping for stuff at the expense of others. This is a grievous sin that just really exposes our selfishness. And in America, I wonder if this isn't, isn't the quiet sin that we just don't really talk about. I mean, it's not any real big deal. It's not like murdering or immorality or you know all those bad things that people do it's just wanting to get ahead a little bit 
Right? It's kind of that, that quiet sin. But let's read a, a passage, 1 Corinthians 5. You turn with that. Turn to that. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. And, and look at the list that God puts covetousness in. Covetousness, a, a simple word for it might be greedy. Right? You just, it's white knuckle disease. <laughs> I got to get it. I got to get it. I'm going to keep it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to start at verse 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or with the covetousness or the covetous or swindlers or the idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote you not to associate. Read that again. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brothers if he is an immoral. Oh, we can accept that. He's immoral. What's the next one? Or covetous. Or an idolater. Or a reviler. Or a drunkard. Or a swindler. Don't even eat with one of these guys. Look at the list that they put that into. Right? This is a greediness. It's a, I want to get ahead. I want to make my own kingdom. I'm going to do my, I'm going to collect. And if it costs, you know, if I got to step on a couple of people, well, so be it. And in America, this really is kind of just a quiet way of, look, I'm just, I'm just climbing the ladder. Got to cut a few things here, cut a few things there. It says, don't even eat with a person like that. And so here Paul is saying, you know what? I want to give you some time to work through this because... I think maybe covetousness has crawled in there. And another thing we have to remember about the Corinthians. We saw this in 1 Corinthians a lot when we went through there. The Corinthians were tremendously proud of themselves. They had a lot of gifts. They had a lot of abilities. They were very affluent. They were cosmopolitan. And if they promised this gift to kind of get a little... Rubbing a little stroke on their ego. Oh yeah, we're going to give. Have you ever done this? Where you can make a commitment or a promise. And once somebody says, that's a great idea. That's a good thing. If the reason you made the promise, the reason you wanted to do the thing was to kind of be built up. And the person built you up before you even did it. Well, they solved the problem for you before you even went through the motion. And so now when it's actually time to take the steps and do it, you don't quite have the same motivation because the desire is gone now. Right? You were really doing it for selfish reasons to begin with. I made the commitment verbally for selfish reasons. I got that taken care of. A little harder to go through it. So Paul's setting them up and saying, okay, let's get this back going. I'm going to give you some time to work through that. And make some adjustments here. Um, we're not going to go through the entire passage this morning. But let's get a start into verses 6 and 7. Let's read those. So we're back into 2 Corinthians now. Verses 6 and 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he's proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Let's zoom in here on, on verse 6. Sowing and reaping. We're not a bunch of farmers, but we understand what this means. One of the poof clarities that I got when I read through some of these, now the master gardener, when you want to put a garden up for whoever in your backyard, I was going to say my wife because I don't like to garden, but we used to put a garden up on Mother's Day. I would go down to the local seed store and I would pick out a couple of packets of seed and I would go home, poke little holes in the ground. Is it obvious I'm not a master gardener? I'm sorry, Steve. And, and, and I would plant them and they would grow. And then for the whole summer, we'd be doing all these things and, and getting tomatoes and, and we'd have a garden. But when your livelihood depends on sowing and reaping, it works a little bit differently. When they go out and reap in the fall, they bring in their harvest, they have to make a decision come spring when it's time to plant. I now have three bags left. I wonder if I can get away with planting just a half a bag. Because it's going to be a long time till I get to eat again. And I only have three bags of, of grain left. And by saying I have to now go and sow some of this seed, it's more than just going out to the store and picking a couple of bags. I'm going to be sowing what it is I could be eating. And so all of a sudden this passage takes on a whole lot more trust element to it. Because when I go about sowing, it's possible I'm going to be hungry come fall. And I'm going to have to find another way. And so it's more than just, well, I go buy a bunch of seed and I just throw it all over the place and I'm happy that way. That's not it. You're taking from a limited supply and you're putting it into the ground, trusting that God is going to take care of you. That's the piece of this that we just read right over. He who sows sparingly doesn't trust that God is going to take care of him. He who sows bountifully trusts that God is going to take care of them. The second half of that is the harvesting part that you're going to reap. Because if you don't put much seed in the ground, it's not going to grow much. And then next year, what's going to happen? Well, next year, instead of starting with three bags, you're only going to be starting with two. And those people who are good at math can guess what's going to happen to this quickly. Sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully. And we're going to wrap up here. This is God's plan for finances. And it's very paradoxical to us. Because the way we think it should work is we get, we invest well, or in the church maybe it's we pray real hard and we buy a lottery ticket. And then pray real hard again before we scratch it off. But God's financial plan is work hard, spend wisely, and give And that's the part that requires trust. 
But in that comes a promise that we're going to spend time on next week. And just like Tim and Leslie talked about, that benefit may not be all physical. But I can tell you that as money is a stumbling block, no one will grow beyond a shallow Christian. If we are tied, if our trust is tying us to the earth because we trust only in money and not in God, your Christianity will never grow beyond a bud. And just like Tim said, our desire is to see people grow into a loving, growing, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And in trusting in money, that will never, never happen. We sow bountifully, and from God we'll reap bountifully. Let's pray. Worship team, if you can come up. Lord God, we trust you. And God, I pray that you would help us to trust you more and more and more. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.